Hey, everybody, it's Carrie Champion, and this is The Brown Print, a podcast that offers solutions and guidance for the marginalized and those who feel left out. These discussions will act as a guide to mentor those in need of direction and also to inspire those who feel hopeless. We will move the needle forward and speak out on the issues by way of dialogue and telling stories of those who need to be heard. There was a strong possibility of me being a father. I felt like I needed to put money together and I knew that wasn't gonna happen at ordinary job. I needed a lot of money, I need a lot of money fast. Oh, I gotta go harder, I gotta hustle harder, I gotta, I gotta get a meal ticket like to, to help my daughter, to take care of my daughter. Took unnecessary risks with my life, and that's what led to me being incarcerated. Karan Butler's story is one of pure inspiration. And like so many young black kids, he grew up in a rough neighborhood. Uh, he became a father at the age of 13. He was in juvenile hall and arrested 15 times before the age of 15. But he was able to turn it around. And, and while so many people become a part of a system, Karan Butler made a concerted effort to change the way he looked at the system and looked at hustling. He needed a new life. He is a two-time NBA All-Star. He is known for being one of the most generous guys in the league. And today on our Brown Print, we'll hear about some of his personal principles of success, determination, dedication, and discipline. All of that helped take Karan Butler directly to the top. I hope you enjoy this edition of The Brown Print. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited to introduce you all to Karan Butler. He is on The Brown Print Podcast. Interest of full disclosure, he is a really good friend of mine. I, I value his opinion. One of a handful of people that I respect because they are true to their words. So, Karan, thank you so much for being on The Brown Print. And um, your story has been well documented. Uh, you've wrote a book. You are very public with your platform about what you try to do and what you want to do because of the life that you have lived. So let's start from the beginning. Talk to me about the family dynamic in which you were born to, born into, and 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 how would it be described? Uh, first and foremost, it's a pleasure and honor to be on with you. Uh, it's been some time since I've seen you in person and, you know, to get this visual feeling, it's, it's amazing. And um, to share my story with you, um, I come from Racine, Wisconsin. My family migrated from the south of Columbus, Mississippi. And um, when we came up to Wisconsin back in the 70s and the 60s, uh, my family, uh, prior to me being born, uh, predominantly white environment, um, came up for industry, came up for work. And what I was exposed to at a young age was just all the things that you would never want a kid to be exposed to. Like, so I'm being introduced to trauma at an early age without even knowing. So when you talk about what trauma I was introduced to, uh, drug sales, when you talk about, you know, police, you know, violence, you know, on a consistent basis, when you talk about people that don't look like you patrolling the neighborhoods and, you know, targeting people that look like you, uh, that was always um, something I just, you know, grown accustomed to and just start seeing as, a normal thing. And uh, I, I think that's terrible to, you know, uh, think about it and to see it as, that way, but we still see those things right now in society. And that's something I've been trying to change for quite some time. But uh, 
you know, it was just one of those things and uh, systemic things that I always wanted to try to change and eventually, you know, be someone that can move the needle on. But what I was inspired by and what I was empowered by was the women in my life, my mother, my grandmother, uh, my aunts. They did a remarkable job at showing me, you know, their truth, you know, good and bad. And that's what really shaped me to who I am and what I am today. When you talk about the women in your life and how they helped you and the good and the bad, I I think that that ultimately lays the foundation for what type of person you'll be. But for the for the folks who don't know, Quran, you early on had to deal with and we talked about that you you were in jail, you were you had a child at a very young age. Why didn't or why weren't you written off at that moment? Because, you know, that could be very, in terms of stats, statistically speaking, people can say that's a wrap. I I mean, I was written off. Uh, I was counted out. I was doubted. I was, you know, uh, as they say, a a broken crayon crayon in a box. But, you know, like uh, the quote says, you know, broken crayon steals uh, color. And I was a guy that uh, my family never gave up on me. So that was the beautiful thing about that. Um, Having a child at a young age, how old were you? Always tr- I was I was 14, about 13 and a half, about to turn 14. So my, my biggest thing was always trying to be and fulfill the void that um, I never had as a father. My grandmother taught me how to be a father. As crazy as that sounds, my grandmother and my mother, because they filled in that void of, you know, the father that I didn't have. Um, and the women in my life, they taught me how to be a man. So... You know, whenever I hear that phrase that a woman can't raise a man, I get really upset Mm. about that because, you know, I'm him. You know what I mean? Like I'm Mm. a true definition of that. So I get really upset when I hear that phrase. And I know that this story has been talked about before and I know you well. You're like, I like to talk about what's next. You don't really, I get it. But I I have to know, I want you to know, you say it as if it's no big deal. Having a child at 13 Uh, years old, could you even imagine, you have kids, could you even imagine that happening um, outside of you having a heart attack, but could you even imagine that happening uh, to your children? And and how did you determine at that moment, yes, I have to be a good father, but how do I make a living for, for my family? Because you have a family. Well, I was thinking immediately of all the things that I was taught at a young age on how to hustle. You know, my uncles was hustling, all of them was involved in the system one way or another. And I, I knew that at some point, it's crazy to think that as a teenager, that I will be part of the system. I will be part of it somehow, some way. And I was just thinking of ways to um, provide for, you know, my, my, my daughter at some point. So I was just, I started hustling. I started selling drugs. And I felt like that was the quick way and the only way, you know, that I was, you know, comfortable with and, uh, knew the game enough to just jump out there and you know do what I do to provide for. I mean, it's such a it's such a vicious cycle. And if you already knew as a teenager, I'm going to be a part of the system. When did basketball become a part of the story? And ultimately, from the outside looking in, and my my point of view, your vehicle to change the system you thought you'd be a part of. Well, basketball was something I always liked, but I never. Uh, truly fell in love with the game. I love what came with the game possibly, but I actually was, you know, the complete difference, um, the opposite. I, I, I love, you know, 
what came with the street life as well. Like I fell in love with all of those bad tangibles, you know, believe it or not, you know, whether it was materialistic things or, you know, the, 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 the feeling that you got when you walked into the room and everybody was just like, you know, he getting it or whatever. I fell in love with that ooh and ah of it. You know what I mean? And once I start playing game, uh, the, the game of basketball, it just really introduced me to another version of myself that I fell in love with. And then I eventually fell in love with basketball because I saw myself vulnerable in basketball. I saw myself as, you know, um, a recipient of many things. I saw my leadership and I grew into the person who I'm in today. Um, I also saw like myself play like different roles all over the place. So I was, you know, at the front of the bench, at the end of the bench, I was a helper. I was a leader. I was so like, I really came in tune to, who I was as a person, you know, by the game, you know what I mean? And that's how I fell in love with it. Okay. So then I'll just go back a little bit, but you don't have to repeat it. Cause that was a beautiful answer, but I'll give you, I'll go back a little bit. You, you, you say to me that you fell in love with basketball cause you fell in love with who you became while you had this sport. And then eventually you fell in love with basketball, but there's a time in which, so you have to, I mean, Karan, your story has to be one of the most inspiring. And I, you know, I can't wait for the movie legitimately. But you're you because you were hustling, you were in the streets, you end up going to jail, but all the while still knowing you could play ball. And then was that the moment when you were in the detention center where you're like, this is it. I got to change what I want to do. Was it a you know what? It's it's crazy you say that because the, the moment I think. Uh, where my mind really pivoted and shifted was like it was a it was a, it was a lot of trauma in the moment. So like when I was incarcerated and I was playing basketball in juvie, uh, I was just like, man, I'm I'm better than everybody else at this, and I don't even put that much effort in it. It's not even like it's like a humble brag. Like I'm I'm a lot better than these dudes, but if I took this really seriously, like imagine what the unknown could be. And I, I was just like, man, I'm gonna shift my energy like really towards it. But it was uh, an incident where one of my close friends, Andre King, had came by the house. He was sitting on the porch with me. We was getting our hair cut. I was on the, the bracelet. I just got out and I couldn't go like 150, 300 feet away from the house. So he literally walks down to the store. He never comes back. He loses life. And in that moment, I was just like, this shit ain't for me no more. Like, and it's crazy that someone can just immediately pivot and say, I'm not doing this no more. But immediately I was not doing that no more. Like I just wasn't uh, intrigued by the game no more because I took so many losses. And I was just like, man, this rap, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna try something different. I'm gonna shift all my energy, you know, physically, mentally, whatever, you know, towards, you know, being something different. This will always be here, but I'm going to shift all my energy towards this right now just to see what happens. Let the chip fall where it may. So when the scouts start coming to the house and knocking on the door and saying, maybe you should you should take this more seriously. We like you. Let me leave my card. What was that experience like for you and your family in terms of what you knew you had to do next? So it's crazy because this is at a time where and it's still, you know, athletes not getting paid for their you know, they labor and their services, right? So everyone that came in, and I had a, a Muslim brother by the name of Jamil Aguirre who helped me out significantly in my life. 
Um, he used to always tell me, if you can be bought, you can be sold. And mm. you have to pay attention to people that come into your door and always present a price for your services because they're not loyal to you. But someone that just says they, that they genuinely want to help you, they find out what's important to you and what's your needs and, and wants, and they find out how to cater something around you to like really usher you down that path for you to be successful. So everyone that was coming to me, all these major universities, St. John's, you name them, they was coming in our household. And my grandmother from the South, she just looking at them dead in their eye like, that y'all all come in with the wrong approach, you know, from a financial standpoint. Oh, we can give them this, you know, 100,000 this and all that. And Jim Calhoun, un- uninvited, I, I got to add that he was uninvited to a recreational gym that I was playing at. He comes to the gym. He watched me play pickup. And um, I was like, oh, shit, the Jim Calhoun over there. Did not know he was coming. He was in the gym just watching. Uh, afterwards, he was like, can't talk to you, but I love what I saw. We'd be in touch. And he ended up setting up a house visit, came, spoke with my grandmother. And he was just like, I'm going to be on his ass. I'm going to make sure that he's going to be part of our family. I'm going to help him be the best version of himself. He's going to experience nothing but great things here at the University of Connecticut. And that that sold her on, on, the, on the university and on the experience of me going to UConn. He said that knowing and I and I think that's an interesting and by the way, the approach that was needed because everyone knew what you had been through. They knew your background. You know, they they got a whole life story on you when they walked through that door. Did yeah. them knowing that you were a father, that you just got out of jail, did they did they or had been in jail or detention in juvie, them knowing that, did that change their approach or was Jim Calhoun's approach the one that that made sense to you based on what you had been through in life? Yeah, his approach made a lot of sense because it was what I wanted and what I needed to hear. You know, I needed a new challenge. I need somebody to hold themselves accountable on who I and what I was going to become going forward outside of myself. Like, I was going to detach myself from the strongest people that really shaped me and have been there for me the most. My mother, my grandmother, my aunts, my uncles. And I wasn't going to go to a foreign environment. And I just think that Jim Calhoun came in with the with the vision. And it, it, it resonated. You know, everyone else, what they were saying and what they was talking about, uh, it was just a, a bought, sold type of concept and mentality, which they came into our household with. And, and I felt somewhat disrespected, you know, by their approach. You know, them coming in feeling like they can, you know, Buy it by me and leave with a receipt of a commitment of me going to the university. You said if you could be bought, you could be sold. Explain that. I just think that whenever someone say that they're going to pay for something, they have no emotional attachment, no real commitment uh, to you. They're buying a product, and the second that they feel like you know, you're not living up to expectations. And I'm just saying from a collegiate athlete standpoint, now I can go deeper in layers in it, and I will, but just from the collegiate athlete standpoint, if I'm not living up to expectations, you don't have any real emotional uh, attachment to me to make sure that I'm the best version of myself. It's just like, look, we paid for something. It was a bad buy. 
You know, <laughs> like let's let's recycle the experience with somebody else. Let's find someone else to replace this kid. Wow. But I feel like when you're emotionally attached to something, which I felt like, and I still felt like to this day that Calhoun was, he uh, he stayed committed to my development and making sure that I was good going forward in life. So the UConn experience was great, and also my life experience. But when you think about just the history of black people in America, and you think about bought and sold, mm-hmm. and when, you know, Brother Jamil Aguari dropped that on me, I always had that that vision in my head in that moment when he sat down in his Acura on Lake Avenue just talking about that. <laughs> and he's like, bro, you got to be aware of that yeah. conversation whenever somebody comes to you like that. So that's why my synapses and my antennas are always up and people uh, bringing it to me like that. Oof. That was powerful. If you think about your life, right? So you, you go to UConn, you are successful. I mean, at the time, that 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 is a, a premier school in terms of basketball. You guys are are a powerhouse known, right? The legacy is there. You then know that you're going to the league and life is about to change overnight and you're about to become an instant millionaire. How does that philosophy um, help you or harm you as you get ready to change your life and quite honestly, your family and friends lives? Well, I, I think that, that that concept of knowing that early, the bought and sold mentality, understanding that I was about to get drafted, like I didn't have an independent decision to choose where I would like to go. Like, say a kid that goes to, you know, a, a Ivy League school that really good at whatever job or career that they decided right, that they wanted right. to go to school for. And then right. all of a sudden they go out and they're able yeah. to go, oh, you yeah. know what, IBM yeah. pays this. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. at, at whatever. And, and I was just like, damn, I'm, I'm back in this situation yeah. where I'm being drafted and I'm a commodity commodity. And let's see who buys me or who, let's see who wants me. So my my mindset has always been like, you know, get the most out the game and put yourself in position to, you know, kind of do exactly what you want to do in life. And that's that that's that was like my observation of it. There's a lot of talk about basketball and 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 what it does for the black man and how it has changed the lives and can help again change your your kids kids lives. Um there are a lot of pros to it. I mean like do not get me wrong. Have you now especially now as a coach have you been able to reconcile the the opportunity that an NCAA system gives you without paying you and using your likeness um, and, and making money, you know, off the backs right. of a, a bank of these poor young kids, literally poor. Um, and then you go to the league and you you obviously get compensated. Right. Maybe. So that's what it's about. But everybody doesn't have that opportunity. How do you look at that system now? Because I don't feel that it's fair. And when I look at my guys who played, I want to know what they think about that system that ultimately led them to the league where they could flourish and could get paid. I, I, I still feel like it's broken. It's fractured. However you want to, you know, look at it. Just like the, the constitution, when you look at our democracy, you look at that system, it's, it's dated. Okay. It fair. really is. Fair. And, fair. and I think that we have to find a way to, 
to continue to stay on the right side of justice and all platforms to like try to move the needle on it. So, you know, me, like I look at some of these kids now and I know some things being put out there where uh, it can possibly change in the very near future. But what, what about the compensation of the athletes and the sweat equity that has put in, you know, for years to a nonprofit, to a 501c3 that been extremely profitable? Uh, in the NCAA, like I just, that's that's mind blowing to me that this hustle has been able to go on for so long and not be, you know, uh, talked about. It's like any other hustle, like what you just said. I think that your perspective, like you had, at like, and I say this, at 13 years old, you were a grown man, whether you wanted to be or not. And the perspective of, of you saying it's a broken system, much like our constitution, is very fair in the terms of if you want to say, well, there are a lot of things that are broken and people are still making money off a broken system in so many other areas. All these things that we have to work on to try to to change the system. You get in the league, you play, um, you become known for various, I mean, you play with the best of the best um, and you are the best of the best in the sense that you have made your name known. Like there's a legacy, Karan Butler, um, D Wade in your best, speaking of the heat, you guys are his best friends or he's one of your closest friends. And then you have this guy that me and you have talked about a lot um, in so many ways. You have this relationship with Kobe being Bryant um, and probably are you one of the few people he could really say is a, is a really good friend. Talk to me about playing in that in that time. Shaq, Kobe, D Wade. Like it was a different to me. It was a different league than as we see it's transitioning now. What did you notice about your time there? Do you have? It's hard to have perspective while you're in it. But do yeah. you? Did you have a perspective of what was happening? I, I didn't. You know, I you know I'm young. I'm wet behind the ears. I just you know want to play hard and. You know, like you say, leave a legacy. You know, you're out there on a platform where a high percentage of these guys you grow up watching and had posters on your wall, or you know, bet on the game that, that they hit a shot, whatever the case may be, and then all of a sudden you're on the floor on the platform with them. And you know, never did I think in a million years that you know me and D Wade playing AAU basketball that it would you know transform to him being the best Miami Heat player ever to put on the uniform and one of the top three, two guards ever. Uh, I never thought that I would get traded and play with one of the best players ever to play the game of basketball and Kobe Bryant, God rest his soul, and someone that would pour into me like that as a competitor uh, uh, about this constantly being a better version of you and, you know, what? what is your why? Why are you doing this? Like, I never really thought about that. You know, you play the game of basketball to be competitive because I just love being in the moment. But he's just like, it has to be more. Like, what's your why? And then I started, like, really tapping into that. And because I tapped into it, it really uh, helped me become a better player, a, a better locker room guy, a better mentor, a better a better everything. Um, because I started looking at the, the, the bigger picture and everything. You're saying that the so in in a roundabout way, a Kobe especially, he was he a mentor to you? He was everything. He's a confident, uh, he's a mentor, big brother, uh, a friend. You know, someone that I can just bounce ideas off of. That 
would probably sound crazy as all hell to anybody else, but it, it like he would just like find a way to make it make sense. You know, um, even even in my, my my book writing process, you know, he was the biggest person that you know pushed me out there to you know tell more stories about my experiences. Like even the children books and stuff that I'm working on now. Um, he was the one that was just like, man, you got to tell those stories. You know, uh, these are real stories that happen to real people. And, you know, uh, I think a lot of times people feel like successful people are the exception. Like they're, they're, they're successful because they, they, they couldn't have experienced something like this and still yeah. made it. And he was just like, with the platform that you're exposed to and have, and I'll help you. Like, you got to get these stories out. You got to get that messaging out. So he he was like the first person that really, you know, uh, pushed me to tell my truth and tell it more. You know, I was really hesitant about telling my story. Uh, when I first got traded to the, the Lakers, I went on Jay Leno. And, you know, it's a it's a light show. You know, Jay Leno, he's ha-ha, he-he, all that shit. And I start crying because I've never, like, talked about the trauma that I experienced at a young age. And... He told me to go, like, you should go out and tell your story. And I did it, and it was just, I mean, it was therapeutic for me because I got a lot, I got that knot out my chest that I much needed, needed to get out, but it was just a game changer for me. I am consistently in awe. Now, there's a difference between being able to have a, a rare talent in the world, and some athletes have that, singers have that, entertainers have that. It's just a rare talent that only you can do and nobody can replace it, and it makes people feel alive and come alive. But the 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 real talent that we often overlook is the ability to take a kid who was a part of a system that said he would not succeed. And not only do you succeed, not just because you are talented in a sport, but because you had changed your entire mindset. We see kids today that are in the league that have yet to still change their mindset. And you know what, how that story ends. Um, and it doesn't always end well. How would you describe as a black kid f from this small town to this entrepreneur who is living and giving back, how are you able to, at each different chapter, level up or maintain or understand your why? I, I think it's, it's different when you're exposed to different. Um, before I was exposed to certain things, so my ceiling was capped out at all that I was exposed to. Um, when I saw different and when I, when I saw like, the, the work ethic and how people got to be able to level up to this level and I was shown it I was able to do it that's why you know all my phrases is seeing is believing because if you see something if somebody take their time to you know really show you um, how to be successful how to be a man how to take care of your family uh, you know uh, and how to level up I think that it's only a matter of time before, you know, you level up. Like uh, one of my OGs, my mentor, Master P, Percy Miller, hmm. he has said, man, if you surround yourself by, you know, five millionaires, watch you be the sixth one. Hmm. You know, that's what he always say. He was just like, bro, it's like one of those things where when your circle is, you know, just filling you with energy and uh, 
constantly giving you all that 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 constant good vibes and the stuff that you need in your life you know, that's good for your soul right it's only a matter of time before it connect and it stick to the bone and you level up so it's all take a look at the environment that you're in the people you're around how you who you surround yourself with that ultimately determines where you find yourself it's huge and that's that's why i always try to make it you know my business to like one return home and have a a huge presence, but also in the communities that I serve and that I'm in, where you know you just go out there and you make people see and 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 and, and, and like be able to touch you and identify you know your story with their story and let them know that you know this dream is possible. Like I think so many times that we're we're trained and programmed to like, and we have been in the past, but not you know I think guys and 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 you know people from all walks of life coming out a little more and telling their stories and trying to reach out more. But we was trained before to, you know, make, you know, come, become successful and kind of get out the way, you know, like, and disappear and, and, and live in this environment, but you can't go back to this environment. But mm-hmm. I think more people are starting to find ways to be a bridge to come to this. Like we should all be exposed to this. We should all be exposed to that. It's no limitations to what, you know, you should be exposed to. I love that. Did you now as I'm I'm looking at the 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 you say you go back home and I'm looking at uh, Instagram images of streets named after you. I mean, like that had to be humbling. You got it, you got it, a, it you got a you got a street, you know what I mean? Like I I you know what I mean? Talk to me. Like somebody was, lives on Karam Butler Way, your Karam Butler Drive or Karam Butler Street. <laughs> Where you live? I live off crazy. of right? Like I live off of yeah. Karam Butler Road. You're like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. You know, you know Queen Queen the craziest thing and the reason why it's so like <laughs> it's mind blowing because everything that we're talking about everything that ever happened, you know, from a trauma standpoint, uh, you know, all the what the unknowns that did happen that's not even documented happened on that block. Wow. And for for that block to be renamed for people that don't look like you and I to say that you deserve this honor. And we've seen what you've given back to this community and continue to give back uh, to this community that it's only right that rename rename this boulevard after you and that that meant a lot that meant a lot to the community too say that again so things that happened on that boulevard things that you would be not necessarily telling everybody about but it's a life lesson is a lot had happened in terms of and now it's named after you it's great it's you know we've I, I shot dice on that block. I skateboarded on that block. I fixed flat tires on that block. I've been shot at on that block. I've caught buses on that block. Uh, I was arrested on that block. I brought D-Wade, Kobe back on that block. We built gardens on that block. We gave, put new community centers on that block. Uh, free lunch, Coke giveaways. We've done everything. So like when people say full circle, <laughs> man, oh, that it's just like so much, so much hit you. You know mm. what I mean? Like when you go back there, it's 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 strong. It's strong. That makes me cry. I dropped two thug tears. Wow, man. Yeah. Wow, that's special. I'm so Appreciate proud of you. you.
Okay, so I, now I'm not gonna get too um, emo. So now you a coach. You didn't call me and tell me that's fine. It's I mean you didn't run the <laughs> you didn't run the decision past me. You're supposed to talk to your closest confidants about this gig. I had to find out on the Twitter. That's cool. I mean Stop whatever. Did <laughs> you could have still sent a text like yo some news about to drop. I'm about to be famous er more famous famous er that's not a word um so so you were working in tv for a while and and still are and in in many ways had your own podcast and you were doing a lot of the things that i think were needed in terms of using your voice this opportunity presents itself um to very few players very a lot of players want to end up coaching um and they don't and, they, and you 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 know you kind of did the tony romo thing you went to the head of the class so you get this spot in miami you know they didn't they didn't say go coach in sacramento they're like come to miami you know no no Disres- you pointed that out. No, no disrespect <laughs> to the Kings, but when you get this opportunity, how did it come about, and what did you feel this next chapter was for you to do in terms of I have to take this job so I can do what? Well, you know, hopefully and eventually, you know, be a head coach someday. Um, I think mentorship is extremely important, um, and I said always that if the opportunity presented itself, whether it was here or San Antonio, that that would just be something I have to seriously consider. And, you know, me and Coach Spo been great friends, you know, for a long time. You know, I watched his grind. I, I watched him rise to the top, you know, to become a Hall of Fame coach. And, you know, for him to reach out, we always stayed in constant contact. And he reached out, I think it was early November, and presented me with something that I just couldn't refuse. And I was just like, bro, we about to, we coming, we coming to Miami. And, you know, I love what the Heat organization have always been about and is about. When you talk about culture, when you talk about, you know, taking care of their own um, and just making sure that I have the proper tools to, you know, succeed in this business on what I'm trying to do next. Uh, I thought it was a great, great landing spot for me. Mm, that's great. Congratulations. So how's it going so Thank far? Because it's all fairly it's new. It, it, You know what? It's going great. It, it, it started off, you know, shaky because of, you know, all the COVID, you know, protocols and things like that. And we had, you know, a rough start where we missed six, seven players, you know, our key core guys. And, you know, a lot of teams was fortunate where, you know, when they had four or five guys contact tracing. They didn't have to go out and perform, but we still went out there and did that. Now it's helping us now because those guys that, you know, was out, it helped the growth of our young players. You talk about Gabe Vincent and uh, KZ, Akpala, and so many others. But, uh, you know, we're back at 500 and we're ready to get the second half of the season started. So, you know, fingers crossed that everybody, you know, have been responsible, stay safe, and we can, you know, build some momentum. It's interesting because it wasn't that long ago you played the game. You look at what these players, and I know you, you might have to give me a politically correct answer, but you look at what these players have to go through um, being in the bubble. I, I, and there's so much about it that just seems um, on the outside looking in, from my perspective, unfair. Could you have been able to play under these circumstances? I, I, well, I could have played under any circumstances when you talk about being a provider uh, patriarch of the family but you know I would tell people when people say well they get paid millions of dollars to do this it's not, it's not just that simple you know when we're talking about 
uh, all these days and months that we celebrate. Uh, mental health awareness is huge. When you talk about COVID protocols and uh, predominantly Black League and what has happened, you know, over the last two years where, you know, mental health should be top priority. When you think about the players being, you know, warranted to support, like, still perform at a high level and do some of the things that, um, <laughs> like, where they have to take their emotions out of it and just play the game at a high level, entertain, entertain. Uh, it's, it can be tough, man. It really can, and I see it in real time. But, you know, we try to, you know, be allies and support systems for our players the best of our ability. In short, I have said anytime I get an opportunity to interview these players, so when I do the, the show on the arena on TNT, I, we had a whole show on mental health awareness because what is happening um, is being largely dismissed because of the fact that these players make so much money. But imagine your first few months in your home being told we couldn't go outside last year around this time. Not, that was difficult to adjust to. So the same is true now for these players who are being put in these very, and people are like, oh, woe is me, woe is me. But I mean, these situations have to be really difficult. And mental health has always been an issue. It has always been an overlooked issue, especially because there's so much shame associated with it. So I'm glad that you pointed that out but I but I do see how difficult it can be and hopefully hopefully the league is doing what they need to do or are learning as we go to help these players because this is not easy yeah I just love the fact that you know I, I watch you on the arena and all your various platforms that you're on and you know you ask people how they doing you know like how how are you dealing with this how are you like that's a I think like that's a lost form of communication, right? right? Like people never ask anyone. First of all, how how are you doing? Before we get to the topic of anything, like how are you doing? Like get that off your chest, get that knot out your chest, and then all right, let's talk about whatever. And that's why I fool with you, Abby. <laughs> yeah, me being a coach is like I, I see that that's a big thing. So that's that's definitely more that is needed, and you know I see yep. that. So I see you, Queen. Keep doing it. Before I let you go, um, I want you to tell me about, because speaking of various platforms, you have a foundation. You're always, you know, you're doing good. You're always Mr. Do Good in the community. So what are we what are we working on that we could tell people about in terms of if they want to help out and they want to hear about different projects that you have? Yeah, well, you know, my website, KaronButler.com, uh, Karan Butler Foundation with Cops and Kids in Racine County. Uh, what I'm trying to do right now is just create a whole bunch of entrepreneurs. Uh, we're building gardens back in uh, Wisconsin right now where we're teaching them, you know, how to grow and use their hands. You know, I think so many times where we talk about, you know, the history of us as builders and creators and innovators, um, that's falling by the, by the, by the wayside and it's, and it's not getting advertised as much. So in our community centers and in our classes, Outside of the music and having studios where they can, you know, do performing arts and things like that, we're trying to uh, create, you know, as many entrepreneurs as possible where they can build their own businesses and, you know, be providers, you know, for their families and, you know, plant those type of seeds in our community. So that's what we're trying to do right now. That's our major initiative for this summer, you know, of 2021. Where's our, when's our movie coming out? Yeah, man, me and Mark been going back and forth, you know. By Mark, you mean 
Mark who? Oh, Mark Wahlberg. I'm sorry. Don't be. I'm don't sorry, don't 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 do it. Don't big time me. I'll be. Just, me and Mark, know, Mark uh, my buddy Mark, Man, my pal. Hey, hey, I, I want to get into the financials <laughs> of that because the longer I'm on the shelf, man, I mean, I, I keep getting paid, so it's cool. Okay. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they can hold me on the shelf for, I think, like 16 more months. That's All right, cool. they go work on it. They go work on it, and then you, and then it might have to, it might have to go elsewhere. Look, I, I can produce it. I, I have an iPhone and a tripod. You need me? I'm, I'm back in the game. Um, easy. My easy. Okay, so I wish you nothing but the best of luck. So, what is it? Before I let you go, I got to get your quick professional opinion as a former player, as a student of the game, as a head coach. Lakers in six or seven this year. Y'all might not make it. <laughs> Y'all better hope Anthony Davis here to come back. That's all you, I'm gonna say. You know what? It's an evil. The level of disrespect you just did after I dropped two thug tears. The level of disrespect that you would say to my face. We ain't gonna make it to my face, dog. Ah. I, look, I got I got a ring with them. I got a ring with them. So we. Get yeah, I right, don't. Oh, you disrespectful. Oh, <laughs> Karan Butler, ladies and gentlemen, uh, a sweetheart uh, in every aspect of the word, a stand-up guy. I have nothing bad to say about you ever in life, always defending you. I appreciate you, what you do on and off the court. I appreciate your next adventures. And I love what you said. If you can be bought, you can be sold. Drop that knowledge. If you can be bought, you can be sold. Just let that marinate, everyone. Uh, Karan Butler on the brown print. Thank you. Thank you, Queen. Appreciate you. Karan Butler, if I were to describe him, um, it would be uh, a long list. But above all, I think that what I appreciate about him the most is his authenticity. Uh, I love to do takeaways, and I hope that you all were able to appreciate what he was able to share with us. Uh, But the biggest takeaway for me was the fact that Karan Butler was able to change. Um, And with the help of my producers, we talked about this. Everyone says they want to change or they have changed. Um, But nine times out of 10, at least in my experience, it's really hard to see it. It's very hard to quantify what change looks like. Uh, And with Quran, it was very specific. He was 13 years old when he was becoming a father. He went to juvenile hall. He was sitting on his steps and he had an ankle bracelet on and he was sitting and talking to one of his friends and his friend went to the store and never came back. He was murdered. In that instance, Quran had a choice and that choice led him to change. That wasn't the life he wanted anymore. He didn't want to be a part of the game. He didn't want to be a hustler. And that really changed his trajectory. We often see things that we should not do. But if we're so familiar with it, it's hard for us to change. It's just comfortable. And he wanted to change, which I respect. He also said, and this is my my wow moment in this podcast, if you can be bought, you can be sold. What does that look like? For Quran, he wanted to make sure that he went to a place to play ball in college where the entity cared about him. And in his case, it was UConn. Jim Calhoun. There were so many other offers from different schools, but he knew they didn't care. They were giving him money because he was a a poor kid in this environment and they just wanted to use him to play. 
And if they weren't invested in him, they really didn't care about his education, his well-being, what would happen to him after he got done playing for that particular school. And he said that that was the best advice he was ever given. If you can be bought, you can be sold. And he didn't feel that when he went to UConn. That to me hit so hard because in life, oftentimes we have to make choices. Is it for the money or is it for my well-being? Is it for the fame or is it for is it for uh, bettering my community or my surroundings or my lifestyle? You have to make those tough choices. But always remember, if you can be bought, you can be sold. Uh, last but not least, he had <laughs> a very interesting take on the company you keep. The wise poet Master P, and I'm being a little facetious here, but Master P said to him, because that's one of his mentors, if you hang around five millionaires, you'll be the sixth. In short, the company you keep is directly indicative of how successful or not successful you will be. And I think that is so true. We hear these stories of athletes becoming instant millionaires overnight. It's so hard for them to maintain and understand that this is a business and that they can't get caught up in the glitter and the gold. Surround yourself with people who want to protect you, help you, build you up, and help you level up. And I think that's what Kwan has been able to do. And in turn, he's using his platform to do the same. I really appreciate uh, his honesty and his authenticity as the person he is from where he started to where he is now. Karam Butler is truly an example of a successful brown print. That's it for this week's episode of The Brown Print. Let's keep the conversation going online. You know I love to go online. Follow us on Instagram at The Brown Print Podcast and on Twitter at Brown Print Pod. Follow me, Carrie Champion, on IG and Twitter. You can find me at Carrie Champion. Don't at me if you got an attitude. Well, okay. We'd love to hear your feedback. Or if there's a specific topic you want us to tackle or guests that you want us to have on, please reach out to the brownprintpod at gmail.com. Again, at brownprintpod at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. It helps spread the word. It is so important that we stay active and vocal. We'd greatly appreciate it if you showed us some love by leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. If you do not, I know you are a hater. Ha <laughs> ha. Kidding. Kind of. Not really. Meanwhile, uh, again, five-star rating and positive review. We need it. It really helps the podcast grow. The Brown Print is a Gallery Media Group original production.